Looking for some amazing TV to stream? Indulge yourself with the hits on Hulu you can't miss. Dive in with Barney, Ted, Robin, and the gang on How I Met Your Mother. All nine seasons are now streaming on Hulu. Then you can move to Modern Family, Schitt's Creek, and My Wife and Kids. We're talking every episode and every season of these shows. We're talking huge hits, streaming on Hulu whenever you're in the mood. Now we're talking. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. A roast as dark as the night. Perfect for fueling the cryptid research and mad ravings required for your podcasting. Don't mind the red eyes. He's just trying to warn you of the bridge. The bridge. Finally, from the caffeine-addled brains of spring Jack Coffee and last podcast on the left, we bring you Mothman's Red Eye Blend. Yes, delicious Panama beans. Go to lastpodcastmerch.com to order yours today. <laughs> Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here with Henry Zabrowski. Yeah, it's me, man. Yeah, bro. Henry Zabrowski is smoking some of that sweet last podcast of the left, babe. Go out there and purchase yourself some. I hope you enjoy it. We have sativa, we have indica, and we have a hybrid. And I have to tell you, from my personal experience, they are wonderful. Super tasty live resin. You really get the delicious weedy taste, which is what I like. And three different experiences. You go to your local vape store and get it. Absolutely. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. We absolutely love you. Can't wait to see you on the road and get that vape, put it in your brain and have a good time. And if you want us at your favorite weed store, give them a call and ask for them by name. Last podcast on the left. It's weed. Hail yourselves, everyone. Hail Satan. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast on the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. Guarana. Guarana. And guarana. guarana. Naturally sourced guarana. Just featuring <laughs> caffeine and yeah. cola beans. Cola, cola beans. beans. You must get your naturally sourced guarana. <laughs> guarana? <laughs> it's always important when you start vocal exercises before the show to slide into all of the accents that you know so that you can really sort out where you sit as a person. So I, so yeah. I always go to... <laughs> That's person who cleans house. Yeah. And okay. then there is like, <laughs> that is man who owns woman. Uh, then oh. you have, then you have. Oh no! Don't do that one. <laughs> that, I mean, I don't know what that is. You see, you see, Marcus, you already jumped to conclusions about oh, what I that see. was. That could have been anything and anyone, anywhere. That's my universal accent. Well, but, that is fantastic. But the only one that is important today is that. Yeah, she. 
Nah. Yeah, man, nah. come here, Shane. All right. Nah. I do crimes in public, Shane. You like it, Shane. You see, now I'm ready to go. I'm ready for the episode. And this episode, man, like, I went into full-on, like, public enemy era, like, documentary series. Sure. Next week, my, my goal is to have a, as many film noir movies pounded into my fucking, the b-hole of my brain for the yeah. next episode. But, man, just that idea that, like... Everybody was killing everybody, and everybody was famous for it. And it yeah. was happening yes. in such uh, a short period of time. As opposed to what <laughs> happens right now. Welcome to Last Podcast on the Left, everyone. I am Ben, hanging out with Marcus. Hi. And hanging out with Henry. And do you have something to say to Dogmeat? Why? Do you have something to say to him? Are we supposed to uh, see the thing about our episodes? They're evergreen. Mm-hmm. So do we want to put a timestamp on this? I think that well. it might be important for Marcus to experience his 39th birthday on the air. All right, yeah. Marcus. Well, happy birthday. It's it was only birthday. nine years ago Thank that you were 30. You. Can you yeah, think really about was. that? That time that you ditched me uh, so you could uh, try and have sex with a woman and have sex with that woman. I and did she would not, not have sex with him. He left <laughs> his <laughs> best friend's 30th birthday party. Oh my party. God. No, they didn't even show up in the first place. Yep. He didn't show up. I was there boulevard. Yep. Yeah. So whatever. Tavern, also, I didn't know it was going to be a big deal because I don't celebrate my birthday too much or mm-hmm. at all. And then all but of a sudden, Marcus a man was like, who was. you didn't show up to my 30th <laughs> birthday. I was like, I didn't know we were in preschool still I'm just... where we had to show up to all these events. Mm-hmm. I don't know why you need. I don't know why you need to insult me to feel better about your guilt. But okay. See, I'm not feeling guilty. <laughs> and he's been saying, oh, I think my voice sounds different. I think it is the guilt of a decade of avoiding connection no. with his friends. And then no. it creeps into your body slowly but yeah. surely. And it will turn into Gills Barr syndrome, which Jenna James <laughs> was just cleared from. Yes, but she's still in the hospital struggling. Well, anyway, I did not realize that my presence was so important to you nine well, years ago, Marcus. And why? Because I'm too humble to understand something like that. All right. So anyway, everyone. We are it's called on. depressed. Oh, humble. Humble. All right. Let's get on with it. Ma Barker, part two. Arr, arr. So when we last left the Barker gang, the year was 1927, and all four of the Barker brothers were out of commission. The eldest, Herman, had been killed in a shootout with the police. Cool. Lloyd, the second eldest, was serving a sentence of 25 years in Leavenworth. Doc was down for life on a murder charge in Oklahoma, hmm. and Fred was doing five to ten at the Kansas State Penitentiary. The family that serves together, slurves together. I think it's really important <laughs> nice. for everybody to be together and jail at the same time. But you say Herman got killed at a shootout. Is that what you'd say that instead of him blowing his own brains out? I would say he got killed as a result of the shootout. And technically, it was in within the confines of the shootout. Sure. So, yeah, I would say he got killed in the shootout. Because right. he'd rather fucking shoot himself in the head and let the coppers take him alive. You get Whoa. me in a clink there, see? You get me in a clink. <laughs> well, it really doesn't make a difference to the cops. No. no, you know, either way, no. you're dead. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just a different phone call. As yeah. a matter of fact, if I was the shooter cops, phone call, I yeah. would say thank you, <laughs> because now I don't have to carry the guilt of shooting somebody, even mm-hmm. if that person would be guilty. The fact that he committed suicide was kind of nice. I guess so. Mm-hmm. I would have liked prison, though, at the time. Yeah. Well, Fred Barker's stretch at Kansas State, however, would transform the entire Barker gang from a small group of constantly caught miscreants into one of the most successful and dangerous criminal gaggles of the Prohibition and Depression eras. There was an incredible documentary I watched. It was called The The Secrets of Gangland. That was really interesting Ooh. talking about this this time period and the fact that like putting it into context, 
how successful the Barker Carpus gang was and, and all of these other in the middle of all these other criminals. They these guys made a fuck ton of money and not and, and they were different, too, because there are other gangsters, people like Al Capone, which we'll cover in like season 25 of last podcast on the left. Ooh, Ooh that's when we're replaced. That's when we're replaced by new young <laughs> yes. like, uh, just robots. It'll be yeah. teenage bisexual robots. I can't wait. <laughs> and what the, the Al Capone, he actually he put all his money back into infrastructure and eventually wanted to become an actual politician. Like he was yeah. really trying to angle for true power. Power, where mm. somebody like the Barker Carpus gang, they knew where they had it sweet, which I was think, get that fucking gang gang, get that fucking money, put it in a pile, buy Ma a fucking dress because she looks like shit. Well, that'll be nice. <laughs> and then you can have all that money in the pile there, which will be kind of fun to look at. Al Capone, I think maybe he was too honest to be a politician. <laughs> oh, my God. He's going to be, Al Kissel's going to be a fucking senator that someone's going to have to assassinate in 20 years. Whoa. You know what I mean? I have a huge head. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Big target. No need for a scope. Well, it's in Leavenworth that Fred Barker met Alvin Carpus, a.k.a. Old Creepy. And it was Carpus who <laughs> I recognized... I thought that was Charlie Rose's nickname. <laughs> we, you, you did that <laughs> joke last week. <laughs> oh, did I? Yes, you did. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it was Carpus who recognized that the Barkers were just a pack of wild dogs that could wreak all sorts of havoc across the Midwest... If only they had the right guidance. I'm telling you what you little girls and little boys need some structure. And that's why we're going to talk about the A to Z robbery. A. You're going to want to use your A Tommy gun when you go into the bank. Your A. Always grab a baby and throw it at the cops. C. Be the cat. Well, be a cat. Be a, okay, interesting. But Creepy, really, he resented his nickname for yeah. years. He didn't like it, huh? No. Why no, not? it's a terrible nickname. Creepy? Yeah, old, old Creepy. Like, oh, here comes old Creepy. You're yeah. not going to get many I'm dates being creepy. called old I'm Creepy. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I'm organized. Okay. He spelled Beverly wrong. Oh, Robert. Now, Alvin Carpus did not follow the stereotype of what we imagine a prohibition gangster to be. Most people remarked on his dignity and manners and said he oh. seemed more like an accountant than a gangster. As far as his nickname goes, Alvin was called Old Creepy because his general appearance just kind of made people uncomfortable. I'll give you a massage. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you skinny with stooped shoulders, creepy eyes, and a wide, creepy smile. Yeah, I went to the orthodontist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. What? No, what happened at the orthodontist, Old Creepy? He turned my teeth backwards. For some reason, <laughs> I just keep getting worse. I guess so. You're eating all wrong. Well, basically, Alvin Carpus just wasn't put together quite right. A human that nonetheless set off uncanny valley alarm bells warning you of some unknown danger. You know, it's weird, which I also learned from this Al Capone, this other Al Capone documentary I was ending up watching, just because I wanted to see context for the time period, mm -hmm. was that mm -hmm. Al Capone and his partner, oh, I believe it's his name was Papa, his name, his partner was Papa. I and, think all of these people just needed a father. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Al Capone was the Barker gang. He was the muscle. He was the guy that wasn't afraid to beat people to death, you know, like he he always sent the message home personally, and he also understood that violence spoke a very wide series of languages. And he was a little guy. He was little guy. No, scary. he was opposite. He was huge. Was Al big? He was huge. I thought he was a tiny one. And Joe, his his too. his partner was uh like just like Carpus, where he was. 
the organized one. It, he needed he needed somebody. They, they always see the two polar opposites. You need somebody who is an enforcer, somebody who's going to bring the energy, and then you need somebody who is uh, the the organizer. You need somebody who mm-hmm. actually has got his head in a swivel and is looking to figure out a way to hide your money. I yeah. love this eHarmony updated app. Yep. Yeah. Well, Alvin Karpis was born in Montreal in 1907 and began his life of crime at the age of 10, assisting an 18-year-old ne'er-do-well in grocery and hardware store burglaries. Cool. Just before the law caught up to Alvin, though, the Karpis family moved to Chicago, where Alvin's behavior only got worse. By the time he was 18, Alvin and a friend were running a hamburger stand in Chicago that doubled <gasps> as an illegal liquor store That's by awesome. day. That's also, fucking awesome. That's so Chica- fucking sweet. Chicago is a hot dog town. Yeah. They went in there. The, they have a hamburger stand in Chicago. That's how they knew That's they were criminals. Ha- well, that is. I mean, <laughs> Al's got to be livid. He was against the rule. Yeah, this is before Al's rise. But mm. the, it is really interesting. I love that idea of how much fun booze used to be. Because nowadays, man, speakeasies suck. Every yeah. single time we go to a speakeasy, you can't find the door. It's $25 cocktails. So you want prohibition. I'm just saying it was fun <laughs> when it was like, ooh. I think ooh, it was horrible, yeah. though. Because then all the booze was bad. You never knew what you were going to get. The cocktail waitresses were all scared all the time. And then next thing you know, they're flipping tables. What's real? What's not real? Next thing you know, half of the bar is made out of cake. Oh, this cake (laughs) thing. You're bringing it into this episode. Well, I just don't like that they had to have so much deception. I, it's fine, but I, I, I'm just talking about how speakeasies used to be fun. They used yeah. to be fun during the time. Yeah, they used to be. I think that people spoke easy because they were de- they were very scared of being arrested. It's a yes, it's an ironic name. Yeah. Well, by day they ran the hamburger stand. By night. Alvin robbed warehouses, stealing whatever was stored inside. Just random shit, like pocket knives and tires. He's a real criminal. <laughs> okay. Yeah, stealing anything. Anything. Well, after that, Alvin rode the rails for a little while, traveling through the American Midwest by hopping on and off freight trains. But after a railroad bull caught him out, Alvin was sent to a reformatory on a five to ten year sentence. And that's where Alvin's true education in crime began. Another Mm. example of how prison is just a master's program for criminals. Mm -hmm. At the Hutchinson Correctional Facility, Alvin Karpis met another delinquent named Lawrence Duvall. Duvall just happened to have been raised in Tulsa, where Mm. he'd been a member of the Central Park Gang since the age of 12. Whoa, his old buddy! Yeah, sometimes he would be in the gang with the Barker Boys. While Duvall had started off with larceny at 13, he'd graduated to bank robbery by the time he was 24 and had been sent to Hutchinson Correctional for committing two bank robberies in Iowa and Ohio, totaling almost $300,000 in stolen loot. And that's $300,000 in 1925 money. That's insane. That's millions of dollars now. Fucking swag to the moon, dude. That's fucking real ass money, dog. (laughs) Absolutely. That's what I like about all these fuckers, too, because it's, again, when we covered Bonnie and Clyde, it was all just about their personalities and how engaging they were and how romantic it was, and their stories were interesting, but man, they sucked. And then when you listen to these things, I mean, really, like, oh, these guys were the real hard asses. All right. Now, since Alvin was a few years younger, he idolized Duvall, not only for his daring criminal exploits, but also for the knowledge Duvall had amassed while breaking into banks. Particularly, Alvin was impressed by how much Duvall knew 
about nitroglycerin, Sweet. which was essential knowledge for any yeg worth his salt, lest he blow himself to pieces like so many amateurs before. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. That's so fucking sweet. It's a cool thing to know about. Yeah, nitroglycerin, because you got to fucking break those, you got to bust those vaults open with something. And if you don't have like a guy that goes tick, 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 tick with his hands next to it, a safe cracker, you don't got a safe cracker and you got to get through that vault fucking fast, boom, nitroglycerin, that fucker will blow across the street. But the thing is, is that you also probably lose half the money in the process because half of it gets burnt up. People will probably notice too. I mean, by then, you what these guys used to do, and what we'll see as we cover, the, the thing that the Barker Carpus gang, they did so good, was full on, like, shock and awe. Yeah. They would show, they would roll in as a group and fucking, it would happen so fast that you wouldn't even know that it was happening. It would happen and then all of a sudden they're killing everybody and shooting everybody and they got fucking big old Tommy guns. Whoa, mama. It's like, like the apple dumpling gang. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Remember or the, bu- no. or the, the buttercream gang. Oh, I love the buttercream gang, especially when they're all making love to me. Yes, indeed. <laughs> That's where the cream comes. Now, by 1929, both Alvin and Duvall were ready to leave prison. So they and two other inmates escaped and embarked on a crime spree that spread across three states. By the time they were caught, they claimed to have committed 40 robberies. Ooh. Would you not say this is more difficult than getting the job? Well, but to get a job, you got to show up somewhere on yeah, time. Ugh, you got to be where someone else tells ugh, you to be. You right. got to do what someone else tells you to do. But if you're with Creepy Carpus, you got to be where he says you got to be. Yeah, but you got to do relaxed. what Creepy Carpus has got to do. No, but it's actually not that relaxed because then if you fuck up, he'll shoot you in the back of the head. Well, at this time, though, Carpus is not the leader. Duvall That's is right. the leader because Duvall is the older one. So Duvall is actually telling Carpus what shots. to do. And Carpus is doing whatever the fuck Duvall wants to do. And Duvall, Lawrence Duvall is an absolute fucking psychopath. Wow. And they, I mean, Carpus is technically, this is his internship. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And if you get a regular job, you can't rob all those banks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's true. Stealing mostly from filling stations and small stores, the tiny gang had taken money, clothing, shoes, guns, and cars worth about $5,000 total. And please take my wife, please. (laughs) Oh, yes. Very good. (laughs) <laughs> very very good uh, I liked it that's kidnapping I, I enjoyed it that's next enjoyed episode it. is kidnapping we'll <laughs> you get you are stealing all this stuff from this gas station take my wife would you and then that's again Please. it's a different crime <laughs> when they were caught however they only had $500 out of that $5,000 left because they lost all the rest gambling yeah. they did not double their money Ben yeah that's hard man because it would also come down to it's like then he gets you back into the game of needing money yeah which is exactly. really very important Take my fucking daughter while you're at it. I mean, that's right. <laughs> that's just more, it's different crimes. That's not stealing. Yeah, I went to the gas station and lost my entire family to this fucking gang. It's great. <laughs> I don't know, sir. You sound like you're fine with it. <laughs> now, both Carpus and Duvall were sent to Kansas State Penitentiary in May of 1930. From how it seems, Duvall was the one who introduced Alvin Carpus to his old Central Park gang buddy, Fred Barker. United and it feels so good. Coca-Cola's. <laughs> and once Fred and Alvin got to know each other, they found like minds. So they decided to work together after they both got out. Did wow. they like speed date? Like how did the, the, did they pull cards out of a hat to ask each other questions? I feel like you, <laughs> how do you meet cute in know. prison? You, you sit down and you play never have I ever. 
Never, never have I ever never stolen ever. a large man's family. Oh, <laughs> it's all of us. God dang it. Now, back then, prisoners could actually work days off their prison sentence by choosing to do work, as opposed to today, where prisoners are forced to do difficult and dangerous jobs for dollars, if not pennies. Yeah. In Alvin Carbus's case, he worked a detail in the coal mines, and by working out a commissary cash for time scam that I don't particularly understand with the long-term inmates, Carpus was out of prison in just one year. Man, this is wow, just... Wow, he must have done a lot of work in that coal mine. He's a very good criminal. Like, yeah. this is the guy who is actually very good at being a criminal. So he figures mm-hmm. out, like, because again, this is also a time period. Would you say, people say corrupt. I would almost say pure. Everybody could be purchased <laughs> during this time period. Every single person in the, pr- sure. the criminal justice system mm-hmm. could be purchased. It's all just about money. Yeah, it is all about money. I would say that's the definition of corrupt. That I know. Yeah, I everyone know that, being purchased be is like the most corrupt possible system you could be where people, you know, they break vows and, you know, promises and all that for the promise of money. That is hmm. corruption defined. For the love of money. But you know what is, Million man? Million dollar man, Ted DiBiase taught us that. True, yep. but when it comes down to penitentiary life, does it matter? You know what I mean? We're trying to get out of jail here. All right, yeah, he, no. but he was stealing from the banks, but the banks, yeah. they steal from us. That yeah. goes around in a fucking circle, dog. I think I would have rather been in my jail cell than in the coal mine, though. Very much yeah. so. Yeah, because you could all do the coal lung. You yeah. probably die young. I mean, by the end of it, he got 108 days chopped off Ooh, of his sentence. Damn. All right. Well, once he was released, the first place Alvin Carpus went was Ma Barker's house in Oklahoma, looking for the already released Fred Barker. However, what Alvin didn't know was that Fred had gone for an extended stay with his father in Joplin, Missouri. And Mm. the dad's place in Joplin, Missouri, that seemed to be where the Barker boys would go when they needed a break from all that crime. Kind of a breather place. Because remember, the father left when crime got to be too much. Yeah, the dad seems like a nice dude. The dad just seems like a neutral guy that got stuck in a criminal family and now understood that he couldn't control anything and he didn't want to do anything about it, but he also couldn't figure out how to tell everybody to stop. So he was just like, I'm going to go on permanent vacation. Yeah. Yep. Nice dude. So when Alvin showed up in Tulsa expecting Fred, (gasps) he found nobody but Ma Barker. Hi. (laughs) Oh, hi. Yeah, flex your prison, huh? Yeah, you are not Fred. I tell you, no, I ain't. I'm a whole lot more than Fred. <laughs> I got these up top butts. I know I that. got downstairs butts, and you got the creepy smile that'll crawl all the way down into my little creepy smile. I've been around men for an entire year. I yeah, so come so on. I was so excited to see my first have woman. but come on. Man, it's weird. I kind of want to go back around the boys. People say I got stringy hair, but I say it looks like spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> Get over here, you witch. Now, Fred's first impressions of the Barker homestead, and Ma herself, for that matter, weren't especially good. Hmm. Later, Alvin Carpus wrote in his autobiography that the Barker home was nothing more than a shack in a trash-strewn lot beside a set of railroad tracks. Ooh, come on. I mean, what's come wrong on, with that? That's, come on. It's a fixer-upper, but, you know. It's a bungalow. Yeah. It's nice. Alvin's first impression of Ma, upon first seeing her balancing herself on a box trying to fix a window screen. The wind's coming. I'm feet heavy. I guess what could be good in this situation. His first impression was that of a, quote, little dumpy old woman. Oh, come on. She said she was kind, but still living in a sort of like 
primitive, unnecessary filth. It's oh, like, he went why millennial. You, but it's like, why are you living like this? You don't need to live like this. Yeah, it sounds like some form of six foot seven podcaster lifestyle. <laughs> what? <laughs> Ma Barker and I live the same life. That's what you're saying? Yeah, you both I don't watch stand each other. I don't have to stand in a freaking box to change a light bulb. No, you're six <laughs> foot seven. Yeah, so what are you talking about? <laughs> the, literally, the story he just told was Ma Barker is on a box to change a light bulb. It's not about no, the teetering and tottering. No, it's not about the teetering and the it's light bulb. It's about living in a shack with a railroad go, track. It's about going and seeing it's like, wow, you could really live a much nicer life than this. Why are you not doing that? Yeah, I fucking fantasize about putting Jello in the pool. <laughs> I could do that. You could. Oh, you could. Puffin could stand on it. Oh, then no. That's that. This is the tincture. Yeah. Then you think you're making a Jello iceberg, and it doesn't work. Enjoy the flavor now, because my brain's gonna be gone in 15 days. Yeah. <laughs> Bud Light February. Once Ma invited Alvin inside, he found that the house had no electricity, no running water, and huh. no plumbing, and it had an old timey outhouse in the back buzzing with flies that were no doubt attracted to the large pile of Ma Barker feces contained therein. Hey, listen. What? We dump the old-fashioned way. We defecate straight from the butt to the earth, giving it back <laughs> in one long cycle. I just like, I'm Simba. My, my poops are Simba. I am, I think I'm Scar in a way because I, I'm, I'm delivering them back to the earth, but you know, it's the, the Lion King. It's an ancient African tale. I have to defend <laughs> Ma, I'm sure she's a horrible person in many ways, but this is this is 1927, right? This is an old timey gal. I think she's trying to live her best life. I think right now you are being a West Coast elitist, Henry, and we have an East Coast elitist in the birthday boy, Marcus. What's wrong with pooping in an outhouse? I'm saying that, well, the problem is that Alvin Carpus said that the house was covered in flies because there was so much shit piled up in the outhouse out back. You got to clean it out. It was awful. It was highly unsanitary, and you could smell the shit from outside from inside the house. But Hmm. what Carpus also saw... Somebody could use a fixer upper here. Like he mm-hmm. actually, I really do think he surveyed the land because the next thing mm-hmm. that he saw was the pile of fucking swag that they had inside of the house. Yeah, I mean that's that's what stood out to him is that even though the house was like grim and dank, it was also filled with like fine clothes, new dishes, oh. furs, jewelry, all the shit that the Barker brothers had stolen before they'd gone to prison. It's just such an mm. American story. Maybe this is, is this specifically American? Because you know how many times you see across this beautiful country of ours where you have like a dilapidated trailer with like a fucking full on outfitted Ford Mustang, like in front of it, like that style where it's just, it's yeah. all about the clothes and the shoes and the, it's the drip and the ride and then mm-hmm. nothing else matters. Yep. Yep. If you have the drip, don't forget to go to the doctor as well. well that's also, it could be chlamydia. Yes, indeed. But while the Barker home and Ma Barker herself took some getting used to, Ma and Carpus became <laughs> friends in the ensuing days prior to Fred's return from Joplin. You know, it was day eight. I finally got used to that big pile of shit. <laughs> I actually really, I just yeah. stopped smelling it. I kind of like it now. Yeah. No weird, put googly eyes on it. You're it's like, kind of fun. I get it's it. my pen. I, I get it. Like, I couldn't I tell you, it. like, what it is about it, but, like, I get why she has it back there. Yeah. <laughs> I it's put- for my. It's a part of my family. It's a memory. <laughs> it is a memory. <laughs> and in time, Fred even said that Ma Barker preferred Alvin Carpus to her own sons. Yeah. Now, before Henry launches into another accusation that Ma was an incestuous beast of a woman, she's got to prove me to me that she's not. 
<laughs> Ma Barker was also at this time just starting to seriously date a 70-year-old miserable buzzard named Arthur Dunlop. I think that she also does it just to so like, I still got it. I still I can do. People saying on my Barker can't do, but I can do. I mean, 70, he probably doesn't have that long to live. This is maybe another scam all along. She has more money than him. Well, yeah. Yeah. Arthur Dunlop truly is just a hanger on. He's a leech. Yeah. Nobody liked him. Ma Barker didn't even really like him. He drank too much. He got mean when he was drunk. He sometimes got abusive towards Ma. And he was just generally unpleasant to be around. Man, you know, she don't need that kind of arm candy. She no, needs no. like a 30-year-old like Guadalupian man who can come around and only just massage her fucking haggard feet and <laughs> lick her the horrible the shit-filled butthole and just be there for her and support her. Sure, yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know if anyone would like that uh, position. They're but... new to this. They don't know. Oh, They're new yeah. to the world. They think it's a part of it. All right. Eventually, however, Arthur would outstay his welcome. Now, when Fred returned to Tulsa to meet up with Alvin Karpus, he brought along another criminal named W.H. Greers, a.k.a. James Edward Creighton. These are such good fake names. Oh, yeah. James James Creighton. That's perfect. Together, these three men left the Central Park gang behind and started a new gang that would strike fear into the hearts of law enforcement officials and bank tellers across the Midwest. Yeah, fuck it. But while Creighton was as much of a bank robber as the rest of them, he had a wife and a kid and therefore wanted to keep a low profile. But since the gang had to call themselves something, James, Fred, and Alvin decided on the Barker Carpus Gang. And they very quickly got to the business of crime. That's a good thing they didn't go with Prune Brothers. Oh, the old Prune Brothers. You remember that video? <laughs> I How got a I forget? shit. I got a shit. I got fucking a shit. Banging the goddamn frying pan on the ground. <laughs> look it up. Look it up. Look it up, younger, younger listeners. Yeah. Yeah. Look it up. Spread it around. Have it at like a retro return. Bring yeah. it back. It needs to be rebooted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With Kieran Culkin. Oh, wouldn't that be something? <laughs> Now, Alvin Karpus was, at this point, actually less experienced with crime than Fred Barker. But Karpus was always much more intelligent, to the point of being paranoid. He fretted over every job and was tough to persuade. But his apprehension balanced the impulsiveness of the Barkers and made Alvin Karpus the de facto leader of the gang. Sometimes you got to make moves in fucking silence, dog. Yeah. The whole point is to roll in. He's got the Barker brothers now. What you'll see is what they'll do is they come in, they do the wackety whack. Yeah. He sits back and does the sackety sacks. Well, right now it's very <laughs> okay. small. Right now it's just Alvin Karpus and Fred Barker and sometimes James Creighton coming in. But really the ga- the only two permanent members of the gang, I mean, it's a gang of two, basically. Yeah. All right. Now, the Barker Carpus gang wasted no time and started their reign of terror by robbing a few jewelry stores in Oklahoma. But the Barkers were well known to local law enforcement already. Remember, they'd been a problem their entire fucking lives. And when these stores got emptied out, the cops began harassing Ma. Come on, don't go ask me. You know, you love my sons. <laughs> so Fred used the money from the jewelry store robberies and moved Ma, as well as her hated boyfriend, Arthur Dunlop, to a 10-acre farm outside of a small railroad town in Missouri called Thayer. 
Once they moved, the Barker boys set up this small plot of land as a full-on criminal hideout. This is dope. Right. This is yeah. really good. Like, these guys really set up a compound. So they're yeah, they moving did. on up. Yeah. They're getting organized. They're building all their they're building all their shit. They're getting ready to really go Super Saiyan. May I say, though, does Ma just love the sound of trains? <laughs> Seems like every home is a train track adjacent. Or is that so they can escape easier? I feel like it's also just where nobody lived. Yeah. Uh, railroad mm. towns are not super popular. They're usually fairly small unless you're like in a gigantic hub or something like that. Like Abilene, Texas was a big railroad hub. I grew up, the town that I grew up in was a railroad town. Uh, the only oh. reason why it existed is because it was a stop on the railroad. But then once they took out the fucking depot and the tracks got torn up, that's mm. when my town died. That's when, it, like, oh. that's, that's when it like nicked the throat just a little bit. And then when the big uh, conglomerations, the big corporations came in, that's when the throat got slit and Rochester, Texas no longer exists. Well, I'm just glad it only happened there. Yeah. And it's not a part, it's not the American story for the small town. I can see Marcus putting his lipstick on, his little dress to go by the train station and wave at the boys. I just need them to know (laughs) that even he in Rochester, Texas, that there's a woman that needs to be married. (laughs) (laughs) And then you fall to your show and be like, I'm a dude. You so my dick. You so my dick. Not only am I a dude, I'm a little fucking boy who's ready to go to prison, boy. Who's ready to go to prison? Rochester is crazy. (laughs) We got to destroy these small towns. I guess so. (laughs) Well, this full-on criminal hideout came complete with barbed wire strung around the property and a long cable affixed to the front gate that was attached to a bell inside the front door that rang when anyone drove down the gravel road leading to the house. Ma, hear me out. What if we make it look like a criminal compound? (laughs) You know what? I was just thinking that. Let's make it real suspicious. (laughs) Yeah, no houses or nothing. I'm going to sleep inside a horse's butt, and I'm going to marry a gun. Oh, Oh, I'm just sick from all the poo-poo fumes. Oh, you're right. Texas Pete is a sauce and allows you to sauce like you mean it. It's what people gather around, it's generosity in its simplest form, and it's a swagger people have who know what's good. Each Texas Pete hot sauce is packed with bold, balanced flavor. This signature tanginess is what makes it a legendary hot sauce that can be used on just about anything. It's been at the center of dinner table since 1929 and is still heating things up today. You're definitely going to want to try Every flavor. The original hot sauce has a famous secret blend of fermented peppers. The hotter hot sauce is three times hotter than the original, and not for the faint of heart. Sabor! By Texas Pete adds authentic Mexican flavor, and their dust-dry seasoning matches the flavor of the original hot sauce and a flavorful dry rub. Tell you what, the other day I was having myself a good old refried bean burrito, and I wanted a little bit of kick to my morning, so I got myself some cha Texas Pete sriracha sauce, and I smothered those refried beans and that cheese and them eggs in a whole bunch of cha and it started off my day. Correct. Texas Pete. Sauce like you mean it. Visit TexasPete.com and use the store locator to find Texas Pete products as well as purchase sauces and get recipe inspiration. And use the promo code PODCAST24 for 20% off at TexasPete.com. The only acceptable reason to interrupt a podcast? Your dog. That was your dog saying thank you for BarkBox. You can take a minute now. You bet your dog. You're going to learn about Bark. 
It's the company dedicated to making dogs happy. Yay! Every month, BarkBox designs and delivers a whole new collection of toys and treats just for your best bud. No, Wendy, I can't get you a whip. You're too cute for weapons. Every treat is made with yummy, healthy, all-natural ingredients like pumpkin and sweet potato. Mmm, tubers. My dogs love their toys selectively. But BarkBox sends good little ones for the little tiny mouths. They have little mouths, but strong, big spirits. So they fight over the little toys. I imagine they think that they are hunting and going after little bugs and rats. And oh, they love their life and they love the they love what BarkBox brings. Because BarkBox brings the bark and puts it in a box. Yep. To get your free upgrade, go to BarkBox.com slash L-E-F-T. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Now, the Barker Carpus gang, like many gangs of the time, didn't necessarily have a dedicated membership. Often, they took in outlaws for a job or two before these freelance criminals moved on to the next gang, the next solo venture, or a violent death. Hey. Mm. On the first major robbery of the Barker Carpus rampage, they brought two men named William Weaver and Jimmy Wilson for a daring early morning ransack of a bank in Mountain View, Missouri. Um, I feel like Jimmy Wilson, like his, he's little Jimmy Wilson. Oh, little Jimmy Wilson. Yeah. Hey, yeah. how you doing? A lot of, he, like, he looks like he's nine, but he's 45. <laughs> Weaver you know. and Wilson. I don't know about these guys. They sound like they would be good Major League Baseball commentators. But I don't think they're going to be good criminals. The names don't really seem criminal to me. They haven't <laughs> built it yet. Do these guys just show up like and then just want to do that? Like, how do they recruit the guys for all the robberies? I think these dudes like find network like they have networks in prison. Like they meet yeah. guys in prison. And then once they get out, it's, you know, they just find each other and like, yeah. oh, yeah, let's go on this fucking job. Or they meet in speakeasies. That's another Whoa. way that they meet. They're just in there and they start talking. I'm a bank. Oh, shit. You're a bank robber. I'm a fucking bank robber. Let's go. Rob do they some just bank. say bank robber? Do you think they just say it out loud or is there code? 
Well, I think they just say things like, what are their specialties? Like, you're yeah. a gunman. Um, you're a, you're yeah. a yeg. You're a getaway driver. Oh, you know, I do impersonations. Crew. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yes. Maybe they meet over a plate of spaghetti and they both sucked on the same strand and then their noses kiss. <laughs> yeah. Oh. It's, it might be, honestly. Well, on October 7th, 1931, Carpus and Weaver broke into the bank at 3 a.m. and hid for the next six hours, waiting for the bank employees to open up the place. Bro, hear me out. Do I look like a plant? <laughs> no. I'm not moving. No, dude, no. Nice leaves. I can see your suit, though, and your hat. You're a man. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Once 9 a.m. came, Carpus and Weaver leapt out, catching Whoa. the employees unawares. One employee, however, managed to hit the alarm just as the crew was stuffing the last of the cash into sacks. Remember, there's only a two-man crew here. And the yep. cops showed up just as soon as Carpus and Weaver were hopping into the getaway car driven by Jimmy Wilson. I had to get yellow pages so I could reach the wheels. Come on, boys. <laughs> Come on, boys. You're crushing it, buddy. The gang, however, had prepared for just such a possibility. As they sped away, they scattered a bucket full of two-inch roofing tacks behind the car, popping Woo! the tires of the police vehicles and enabling the crew to get away with $7,000 and minimal fuss. Whoa, they went deathmatch with it? They got yeah, thumb tacks? Fucking Ooh, twisted what I metal. love about That's this awesome. time period, too, is that there are so many things that I learned about from Looney Tunes cartoons, right? And I saw in Looney yeah. Tunes cartoons and saw in, like, old-timey movies, all this kind of bullshit. And you always kind of assume, like, oh, that wasn't real. And then you really get into it and you were like, holy fucking shit. Like, the more you read about all of these gangland types, all of these personalities, they everything, they were all Looney Tunes. They were yeah. all in Looney Tunes, which is really strange. And then yeah. they all, like, use shit like this. They're, these were real tactics. Yeah. Yeah, meep, meep. Yep. About two months later, though, Carpus and Fred robbed a clothing store, stealing $2,000 in garments. And this robbery would lead to the gang's first pot of hot water. Mm. Yeah, see, I actually disagree with robbing the clothing store because you're just picking up so much evidence. And then how many, how many, how many anyway, okay, we're going to do it. They just yeah, got sick of just spending their money on it. They like just figured... Instead of buying clothes, we already stole all this money. We should yeah. just steal clothes. They should just buy the clothes with the money. No, but now they're like, now I have the money and the clothes. All yeah. right. Yeah. And Ben, you make a good point. And since these were dudes in their 20s with not the most foresight, they were out and about wearing the clothes they'd stolen the very next day. Yeah. So while Carpus, Fred, and William Weaver were having a tire fixed at an auto garage, the mechanic recognized the suits the outlaws were wearing as the same clothes that were reported stolen. Because I guess the mechanic had a keen eye for fashion. I just, just think that you... phones have ruined our span, our attention span, yeah. and that the people used to be able to pay attention to things and remember things. You can yeah. just see all the dye packs exploded and all yeah, their yeah, suits. All the patches <laughs> and shit. No, it, that's the way it's supposed to no, look. This, this fashion, this fashion. fashion. I'm hype beast. <laughs> Well, the mechanic called the cops, and here's where things went south fast. Uh -oh. The first officer on the scene was Sheriff Roy Kelly. And without a second thought, Alvin and Fred opened fire, Damn. shooting Kelly in the chest and the left arm twice each. Yeah, man. Uh-oh. They left him there to bleed out, and Sheriff Kelly died before the ambulance could save him. Subsequently, the mechanic identified Fred Barker as the cop killer. And this no. we, this makes them criminals for life. Like yeah. this is the same thing that we've seen before. We saw it with Billy the Kid. This type of thing happens. All of a sudden, now you have a murder rap. Now you're done. Now you are like you no, have not just a murder rap, but you have killed a cop. You have killed yeah. A, yeah. an elected. You have killed an elected official. You're fucked. 
Knowing that the cops were fast on their ass, the gang abandoned their hideout in Thayer and took Ma to a safe house for outlaws in Joplin, run by a man named Herbert Deffy Farmer. And I actually feel like the deaf community should take back the term Deffy as a way of of, of getting into it. Absolutely. Now, the Barkers were at somewhat of a loss as to where to go next, so Deffy suggested that they go where all outlaws in the Midwest eventually went, a city so corrupt that criminals and city officials openly collaborated. New York City, Milwaukee. St. Paul, Minnesota. No Saint shit. Paul, yeah, man. really? You do some reading about St. Paul during this time period, and it is hopping, bro. Oh, okay. yeah. Like, it's a little like a, cold. It's a little cold for gang violence. But That's guess what? It keeps people inside. Mm-hmm. I guess. You get to hide inside. Yeah, but then if you, yeah, but you want to, you want to shoot people with your Tommy gun. No, not here. Not in St. Paul. No. Okay. You'll see. Now, during Prohibition, St. Paul had become one of the three main hubs of liquor distribution in the United States, along with Cicero, Illinois, and Hot Springs, Arkansas. The latter two cities were controlled by Al Capone, but for everyone else, there was St. Paul. Yep. St. Paul was in the perfect position to become a liquor hub. The Mississippi River was a rich source of water for making bootleg liquor. And Mm. by the way, 75% of St. Paul citizens were said to make their own liquor at home. That's awesome. (laughs) And St. Paul's proximity to Canada made smuggling liquor across the border easy as pie. But while other cities actively fought against the criminal element, or at the very least pretended to fight... The police in St. Paul had a long-standing rule that if criminals didn't rob or kill anyone within city limits, those criminals would be left alone. A gentleman's right. agreement. And this is a thing that also, you remember Billy the Kid, when we covered it, it was the same thing. He lived in a criminal-based town. And is there's a part of me that's, I find it, because I first asked the question, like, why they want to buy all these suits? Like, what was the point of, like, looking fresh, right? It kind of, I guess Al Capone was sort of a person that became a style icon during the time period, where he's wearing these big suits, and it became a big thing for the quote-unquote public enemies to dress well and do all of this shit and party a lot and and spend their money and there was a part of me that wonders like you know why do they all get fascinated with that and then you realize like oh in the wild west those outlaws all did the same shit it has been a part of this type of criminal dna that has existed for forever and i i don't know if it's just because like you are living this rock and roll lifestyle and there's only a short period of time that you'd be able to live it I think it's about attention. Yeah, you know, and their like money's got to go somewhere. Yeah, it, well, it's like it's bad behavior. Like, usually when people commit bad behavior, like pet criminals and, and the like, you know, people who aren't just like full-on psychopaths, like serial killers and shit like that, criminals like this, a lot of times they do crave attention oh, yeah. so fucking much. Well, so they're going to buy flashy clothes. They're going to buy big flashy cars, loud cars. They're going to turn their fucking radios up so goddamn loud that it makes you want to fucking scream when you're trying to sleep at 3 fucking a.m. But You don't know if they're criminals, Marcus. <laughs> yeah, you don't know. Well, well I, mean, I don't know. I, I, well, I know the guy who fucking blasts Phil Collins in my neighborhood all the time isn't a criminal, but I don't know about we the rest of them. Be, we actually don't know that. It might be Phil Collins. <laughs> it could be Phil. It might be, he it might be. be a criminal. Yes, indeed. Well, as someone who's dabbled in the fine game of Jose Bank, it cannot be <laughs> understated how important a nice jacket can make you feel. Are you are you about to and, do a push for your own the line that has made you an ambassador, a fashion ambassador? You oh, should. Windbone. Yeah, you should. That's yeah. the plug. I'm going to buy yeah. some pants from them. Yeah, I see. You got clothes on right now, all from One Bone. Mm-hmm. No, 
I was thinking more Jose Bank. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, this system of basically letting the criminals live in St. Paul, this began at the dawn of the 20th century with a police chief named John O'Connor, who had ties to New York City's Tammany Hall. Tammany Hall, of course, was one of the most infamously corrupt political machines in American history. Yep. See, O'Connor believed that he had the understanding that, quote, Americans were hypocrites who publicly deplored vices they secretly enjoyed. What? Which is, that's prohibition in a nutshell described decades before prohibition was enacted. It's absolutely true. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's one of the defining features of our country. Yes. But it was that attitude that led to what was known as the O'Connor system in St. Paul. The O'Connor system held that, quote, Criminals could make their presence known to the chief of police and stay here with immunity, Hmm. provided they committed no crimes within the city. As such, gangsters used St. Paul as a city-sized safe house, buying police protection with watches, gold jewelry, or just cold hard cash. Upon arrival in town, a criminal of any kind could check into a speakeasy, pay a fee to somebody affiliated with the police, hmm. and become immune from arrest as See? long as they stayed within the St. Paul city limits. It's wow. pure. It's pure. Yeah. All he has to do is show up and he pays the no arrest ticket. All right. He pays for the no arrest ticket. He gets it. And all of a sudden, he I doesn't mean, have to be arrested anymore. That's it. That's what all these perverted Hollywood producers do at the Soho house. See, honestly, what we do now <laughs> truly is uh, they don't. It really does feel like that's why in my, I keep saying like pure. They had like a system. Now it's all like unsaid. Like yeah. the Al Capone was replaced by Amazon. Like they're just it's the same mechanisms where they just they bribe and they grease the wheels of everybody they come in contact with. But it's legal because they're a corporation and not just and even though they are same thing. Al Capone was giving he was serving goods to the yeah. people. He was giving bootlegs. Yes, he obviously yeah, but did a lot of crime. Not quite as good as Amazon. No, I'm I not, can get sanitary wipes and a treadmill. All in one go. But wait till Amazon creates a <laughs> private police force, which you know that they already do, they already have do. their own things around their own facilities. And once they start like renting them to the government, we'll see how we all feel. Yeah. A lot of police and forces. by the way, in St. Paul, that, you know, going and paying at a speakeasy, paying the no arrest fee, that only kept you immune from arrest from the St. Paul Police Department. Yeah. If Minneapolis decided to fuck you up, nothing doing. No. No, it, it, it did not matter at all. The craziest part about this, though, is that it actually worked. St. Paul was the safest city in America during Prohibition. As Chief O'Connor put it, the city was being pillaged and robbed before his tenure, so he brought peace to St. Paul by choosing the lesser of two evils. We side with the evils. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we just, you just become evil. You just, you just join the empire. You're like, I'm Mm -hmm. here. Yeah, and since so many criminals were coming into St. Paul, so too was their money coming with them. St. Paul became a criminal boomtown, with cops, corrupt politicians, and gangsters making profits hand over fist at the speakeasies, casinos, and brothels that all operated without impunity just so long as the right people got paid. Oh yeah, what a great day at the old St. Paul brothel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yep. 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 Uh, It's interesting. I am a janitor here. Oh, good. (laughs) And I actually worked in hair salons for a long time. Good. Yep. More hair on the floor at the brothel. (laughs) Isn't that weird? Yeah, it is weird. These women are German. (laughs) They still serve hot dish? 
It does. Brothel. Oh, you got to you serve got hot to. dish in yeah. between the sessions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just ladle it out into yeah. a big fucking trough for I all the hogs to I can't think of a city I would up. rather not go to a brothel in. <laughs> than than St. <Saint> Paul. Yeah. <laughs> well, in addition, the banks in St. Paul were booming from all the money they laundered. Huh. And the jewelry stores and car dealerships made so many sales that they couldn't keep inventory in stock. And all this happened in the middle of the Great Depression. Yeah. <laughs> However... The downside to this is that it made being a bank teller in any town around St. Paul mm. into one of the most dangerous jobs in the world. Yeah, Maybe just don't do it. Maybe just don't show up for work that day. I would just move to St. Paul. I would yeah. just be like, all right, let's go. Or we got to at least get out of the 20 mile radius around St. Paul. Yeah, to commit robberies, gangsters would just drive outside of St. Paul city limits. Or if they were especially polite, they would drive outside of Minnesota altogether. Nice. That's nice. And once they were a safe distance away, they would hit whatever banks, trains, jewelry stores, or payroll trucks just happened to be lucky enough to grab the gangsters' attention. Then the gangsters would return to St. Paul to fritter away their ill-gotten gains and the criminal economy that St. Paul had created. All right. Because it just, yeah, because I can imagine St. Paul just like, that must be such a sight, too, during the Depression, yeah. where like the Depression, you know, we had the recession in 2008, but the Depression wiped out a chunk of American money. Like it, people were fucking destitute. It destroyed the country. Oh, well, the recession. It's nearly impossible to, to really, yeah. to really picture what the De Great Depression was really like. It's almost impossible for 21st century Americans to really picture it. And the fact that St. Paul was blasted. Was like mm -hmm. there obviously it does eventually get to a point where like all these cops are making their money, but eventually you're gonna make somebody really upset. Yeah. Eventually this this time period will end. Yeah. They said during uh the twenties or like during Prohibition, uh St. Paul had the best nightlife in all of America. Wow. wow. Never to, to be like that ever again. <laughs> oh, Minnesota's got they got some fun stuff happening there. Oh, St. Paul has one of my favorite record stores in America, Agarta Records. Yeah, that's where I almost got arrested for fucking place. weed. In yeah. St. Paul, not at the record store. Yeah, not at the record you store. You didn't get arrested. You had, you had a snooty Minnesota man come and kick uh, you out of your hotel room. The police are on their way. They are Midwest. on their way, you mister. You, you, you slanderous mister. No, I, he was a Midwest douchebag. Yes, he was. It's a hard thing to describe until you meet it. And to put into perspective just how much this system fucked the rest of Minnesota, 20% of all nationwide bank robberies in the early 30s occurred within Minnesota. <laughs> out of 50 states, 20% were in Minnesota <laughs> itself, and not a single bank in St. Paul was ever robbed. Wow. Yeah. So around the time that the barker Carpus gang rolled into town with Ma Barker in tow, O'Connor had retired as police chief, but had been replaced with another man who managed to surpass him in corruption. Big Tom Brown. They're always named big. Could mm -hmm. be. Why if he's big or little. Sometimes I the smaller they get the big nickname. Because it's cute. Mm -hmm. I but, guess. But why are guys named with the nickname big always hyper corrupt politicians? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I can't, I can't think big of another. Big Johnson. Yeah. I can't think of it as a, it's not that common of a nickname. Big, yeah. Big Tom. What was the name of the other super corrupt politician throughout all of American history? Was it um, not Ma about Mayor Daly? Are you one. talking about Boss Tweed? Yeah, Boss Tweed. That's, that's oh. it, Boss. Tammany Hall. Yeah, Boss. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Boss. Anytime you're a boss, you're 
fucking shit up. Mm -hmm. Big Tom Brown had joined the corruption game by heading up a police division in St. Paul called the Purity Squad. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) They were charged with half-heartedly enforcing laws against bootlegging, sex work, and gambling. Here's a ticket for drinking your beer too fast. Okay, enjoy it. Try to enjoy it. This is specially made. We got nice hops. Is that right? It's here that Big Tom quickly learned that there was a lot of money to be made in bribery, shakedowns, and especially selective enforcement. Yep. Hmm. Now, by 1930, Big Tom was allied with just about every powerful shady character in St. Paul. On the so-called legit side, he had Leon Gleckman. Gleckman! <laughs> who had puppets on the city council, as well as Edward and Adolf Brimmer, who laundered stolen cash from bank robberies at their own bank. That's genius. <laughs> really smart. I used to steal all those chicken nuggets when I worked at Burger King. Oh, yeah, man. That's how I used to steal <laughs> photographs from Eckerd's. You have to write them mm. off as damage, and then you can copy anybody's private photos as much as you wanted yeah. and give, it, give them out to your friends. We should have worked mm-hmm. at banks. Yeah, we really should have gotten more high-power jobs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's also interesting to see the popularity of the name Adolf before yeah. uh, 19... the 40s. I don't know really... I don't know what happened in the 40s that... Stop that name. But then ah. it's like in Texas, we went by that one place that said that it was called Adolph's. Yeah. It's still and, there was, a name. and I remember when I was in college, there was a bar in Lubbock called Adolph's. But the funny thing is, you wouldn't expect it. Karaoke bar. Hmm. Well, was it in a train car? <laughs> in a strip mall next like to the mall. If mm. it's called Hitler's, it's a problem. But sure, Adolf yeah. is still a name, although it's a bad name to give your child because they're going to get called on first. People get upset. Yeah, never put them at the top of the alphabet. <laughs> yes, it's annoying. Well, on the criminal side, Big Tom's contacts were Jack Pfeiffer, owner of Hollyhocks Casino, and Harry Sawyer, owner of the infamous Green Lantern Tavern. Ooh. And through the Green Lantern and Harry Sawyer, Tom Brown became involved with the Barker Carpus gang, who needed someone to help them launder all this dirty money. You, you know, know, for all for all of this individualism, it's really interesting to see how much infrastructure is needed. Like how yeah. much stuff is of needed course. to keep a criminal enterprise going. Again, slowly becoming a corporate hierarchy, but it's all about robbing banks. Yeah. You know Tim Conway? Yeah, of course. Yeah. The, uh, you know Tim Conway? Yeah, yeah. How much? How much? Yeah, how much does a Tim Conway? About 160 pounds. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> that's fun. That's fun. You know, he should have done something on uh, Dorf on fascism, and he could have been a Dorf. Have you been thinking about this this whole time? As we were talking he could about have other been a things. Dorf Hitler. Oh, yeah, honestly, no. that would be cute. You get it? No. Instead of it's not adult. how much is it? It's, it's what's a Tim Conway? What's a what's a Tim Conway? About 160 you, pounds. You already said the punchline. Yeah. You said the punchline. He said a punchline five minutes a too late. Dorf. It's just we're all here. We're all here. A dwarf on leadership. A dwarf yeah. on leadership yeah. is really cute. Yeah. About 160 pounds. <laughs> wow. You just got you just got the kissel gene. A little kissel germ went through the microphone into dog meat's face. I guess it's his birthday. Oh, Tim, it's his birthday. It's his birthday. Yeah. yeah. Now, when Alvin Carpus and the Barkers arrived in St. Paul, and specifically when they arrived at the Green Lantern, they thought they'd found criminal heaven. It was. It sounds like it was, yeah. Alvin described the Green Lantern Tavern as a perpetual party, the most complete gathering of criminals in one room as there ever was, filled with escapees from every major U.S. penitentiary. (laughs) That's awesome. He was, in his words, yeah. Dazzled. I just simply, this is just too much. You know dazzled. What I mean? 
It's incredible. I, I want to say that we would be welcomed, but at the same time, I think we would have to go immediately on stage and start making people laugh. Oh, ab- of, yeah. absolutely. You ever hear the story oh, about yeah. Richard Pryor getting kidnapped by the mafia? No. They basically no. scooped him up. He has a job that he was supposed to. He got hired to do some job. This is obviously very much the, the truncated version of it. He does a whole bit about it. It's hilarious. But they he was supposed to do a job. They essentially kidnapped him for three days, and then he had to perform on stage for all of these guys that were all like he was making fun of mobsters and there'd be a moment of silence so they all look at the godfather and go this guy's funny this guy and then, is like, funny they went and then eventually they left him someplace i believe it's also charlie parker has the same story where he was kidnapped yeah. by mafiosos they basically <laughs> then they stuff his pockets with money and then oh. they're like all right get out of here comedians and moff in the mafia and and these types of criminal organizations have gone like they, we've gone hand in hand for a long time. Yep. But the only thing I that's what I'm saying. Why won't MS-13 ask us to do a live show for them? I feel like that's mm. where the gangs are missing a little bit of this kind of class and this kind of type of there's stuff. A, get a crooner in there. There's some barriers the there. Yeah. Get I, a crooner. Um, get a get a casino going. That'd be kind of fun. Danny Aiello. You know what? He, his nickname for me was Hollywood. What? Yeah. You yeah. knew Danny, Danny Aiello? Aiello? Yeah. He had the place out in uh, Hoboken. Wow, weird. Why do you call you Hollywood? I thought I think he thought I was going to be successful. Oh, weird. He should have thought. He should have helped you. He's, he's not Yellow. a scout. He was an actor. Yeah. You know, he doesn't know what he's talking no, about. No, he doesn't. But he was very nice. <laughs> he just gets scripts. Not anymore. No. He's dead. <laughs> well, soon, the Barker Karpus gang met the owner of the Green Lantern, Harry Sawyer, who was described by Alvin Karpus as a, quote, roly-poly orthodox Jew. <laughs> and once they showed they were on the level, the Barker Carpus gang was welcomed into the St. Paul criminal world. Oh. All right, this is what I got to confirm you. Okay, listen, if you want to be a part of this here, you want to be here in the St. Paul scene, what you got to do is be able to, can you make the shape of a butt with Tommy Hole bullet guns? <laughs> that butt's so nice, I want to make love to it. That's Welcome a really to the good, whoa, <laughs> nice job. Good work. Well, after establishing themselves, the Barker Carpus gang moved Ma Barker and the hated Arthur Dunlop into a house in St. Paul and picked up right where they left off, robbing a bank in March of 1932 in downtown Minneapolis. Now, that robbery went off without a hitch. But a few days later, the gang got word from corrupt police authorities in St. Paul that the Minneapolis police were on their way to arrest Fred and Alvin for the heist. Whoa, hmm. whoa. Okay. So Alvin and Fred took off and tried to figure out who had been stupid enough to bandy about the location of their secret hideout. After a very short conversation, they landed on Ma's boyfriend, Arthur Dunlop. Excuse me. Uh-oh. Well, Excuse me. It's been me this whole time. You know that. You guys, honestly, you didn't even have to ask yourself too long. You I knew mean, it was me. Seems like even if it wasn't him, they have some aggression they need to get out, and maybe this mm-hmm. is the person that should receive it. Yep. See, Arthur Dunlop was not only an asshole, but a bad drunk as well. Consequently, more than once, he'd had a few too many at the local speakeasy and bragged about being a confidant to the Barker Carpus gang, and probably bragged that he was fucking their mother as well. Ooh, didn't make them happy. I don't think that made them happy at all. Well, I think they were fine with that. It was more telling people about where they were living. That but they never liked him. They never liked him. They were all very close to their mother. And then Ma Barker, I guess, came, he must have had a huge hog or something. There must have been something. That, something. It was something he provided. Maybe I mean, it was just because he could be led around by the nose. Yeah, just companionship, probably. Yeah. See, by this point, 
Alvin and Fred had become somewhat famous in the odd true crime celebrity scene that sprung up around Prohibition and Depression era gangsters. And their pictures have been featured in the latest issue of True Detective magazine. Ooh, and you know that cool. that really must have like, because on one hand, they think it's awesome. Right, because yeah, they got they getting all this coverage. But the thing about the Barker Carpus gang is that they weren't like Bonnie and Clyde. They no. didn't like too much publicity. They didn't want people to really know what was going on. So it must have been a really double-edged sword. But it is also really interesting to see how many people were pulling for these criminals because a lot of the times they robbed banks, which was especially heading into the Depression era where everybody wanted to see the money. They wanted to see you rob a bank. Yeah. And then the people a lot of times they murdered were police. And that was another thing that people at the time were really excited to see you do as long as it wasn't a bunch of innocent people. But the thing about all of these gangs especially the Barker Carpus gang, is that they they were incredibly violent. And so eventually it would go to a lot of people. A lot of people yeah. would get murdered by them, not just police officers. And yeah. then the tide starts to turn. Yeah, the Barker Carpus gang was incredibly violent, incredibly impulsive, and they would do anything to stay out of prison. Anything, anything at all. Absolutely anything. And I think the only reason why they gave themselves a name, it's not for, you know, to get press or anything like that. It's just for rep in the criminal underworld. Yeah. So when they went to recruit guys, they could just say, like, yeah, we're the Barker Carpus gang. And, dudes and are it like, means oh, something. Fuck yeah. yeah. Like, I, I want to be on your next fucking job. I mean, they wouldn't do anything to stay out of prison. I mean, because they they kept on committing all those crimes. Well, yeah, they would. <laughs> they could have like, just gotten a job. Yeah, they yeah, like a yeah. teacher. Oh, anything yeah. else? I, most yeah. jobs you don't end up in prison. Most jobs. Most. So they could have like done something like that, like a chef. <laughs> but anyway. Well, an unnamed snitch read about the Barker Carpus crimes in True Detective magazine and reported their location to the authorities. Uh. Which, of course, that location had been relayed to the snitch on accident. By a drunken Arthur Dunlop. You know, we're living up under the trench tracks. We got a whole system to make sure that nobody knows it gets in there. It's a gate. You can look at the gate. It's barbed wire and over there. Wow. Yep. Wow. Yeah, I'm I fucking their mother. I can't. <laughs> it's fucking great. She's got a head full of spaghetti here and she's got, <laughs> I, honestly, I've never seen her vagina, but I felt it. Yeah, that's crazy. You told me all that. Now, when Alvin figured out what had transpired and confronted Dunlop about it, Arthur confessed and blamed his behavior on the drink. It's me. It's me. It's me. You know what the problem is? It's, it's, it's the grains. I'm allergic it's, to grains. Oh, is that the problem? Yeah. The gluten. It's the gluten. It's the gluten. I'm anemic. And this is all while he begged both Alvin and Ma to forgive him. Please forgive him because he knew what was going to happen if they didn't. I think he knew what was going to happen no matter what they yeah. said. The decision as to what should be done with Arthur fell to Alvin and Ma, because the two of them were oddly close. So close, in fact, that Dunlop would accuse them of having a sexual relationship anytime he wanted to get mean. Wait, that's the, but that's the, the mom and son. No, no, no that's no, Alvin Carpus. Oh, okay. Carpus. Yeah. So they right. did want to have sexual they relations. Could they it. could. Okay. Yeah, they but could. And, and, and Alvin kind of hinted a couple times in his autobiography that maybe him and Ma shared a couple of magical nights together. You know what it is? You know, people say a lot of things about Ma Barker, but I feel like you reach a certain age and you begin to know how to pleasure a man. In a yeah. specific way. And yeah, maybe you don't got the same gams that used to, and maybe you, you sure. smell a dookie from the nearby outhouse, but if you really know how to hit that swerve. I mean, Alvin Carpus did write about it in a way that he, it sounded like he knew something that everyone else didn't. Uh, special magic. made Ma Barker, I guess, a special, special woman to him. Special yep. woman. Maybe he found the, the secret want. of the prostate. In the fucking dark. 
every hole is a glorious hole. <laughs> I don't think that's true. Yeah, you see, you better be careful. In fact, that's not true. Listen, you got to pinch your nose. You got to be mostly blind, and honestly, it really helps to drink a bottle of whiskey. And then, really, when it comes down to it, it doesn't fucking matter what happens in there. Yep. Pre World War II, we didn't have an identity yet. No, no. So after driving around and talking for hours, Alvin convinced Ma that she and everyone else would be better off without Arthur Dunlop. Ma was sent to Chicago. And while they told her that Arthur was, quote unquote, going to Kansas City. Wait a second. Why are you guys doing the quotation fingers? Yeah. Why are you guys doing quotation fingers? I thought that we were going to Kansas City. Yeah, yeah we're going to Kansas City. Stop using the quotation uh, fingers no, no. unless we're not going. I think Ma had a pretty good idea what going to Kansas City yes, really it's, meant. It's, it's the big wink. It's yeah. the big wink. It's the fact that nowhere near Kansas City. Yeah. Arthur Dunlop's dead body was found on the shores of Lake Fremsted in Wisconsin with his oh. brains blown out, mm. naked and obviously tortured prior to his death. <sighs> From the coroner's report, his mustache had been partially severed, and it hung grotesquely from his face. They got, gar- they got Arthur good. <laughs> that's, got that, good. that's that untapped aggression you mentioned earlier, Ben. Yeah, they took to it out mustache. at that point. Wow. Yeah, they just cut it off his fucking face, and you know it was when he was fucking alive. Definitely. Yeah. Now, nearby gas station workers said that they'd last seen Dunlop in the company of Alvin Karpus and Fred Barker. But... Carpus maintained that it was actually Hollyhock's owner, Jack Pfeiffer, who took care of Arthur as repayment for some unnamed distasteful jobs the Barkers had done for him. Oh, hey. oh, oh, oh. distasteful. What could that be? Oh, if I can clean out my fucking butthole hair. Thank you, Marcus. <laughs> yes, fucking, it's his birthday. Just, it's Marcus's yeah. birthday. He said yeah. butthole. Nice. He's yeah, just take that. Just get a little comb, like the tiny, like lice comb, and I want yeah, you to comb out all the fucking dingleberries yeah, on dude. my butthole. Let's and don't. Me doing and that. if you fucking pull out one single hair, I'll shove it in your fucking mother's eye. Yeah, Whoa. stick it up your yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. Reportedly, Ma Barker was actually quite happy when she heard of Dunlop's gruesome fate. (laughs) 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 What a day. Nice. And since Big Tom Brown had tipped off Fred Barker and Alvin Karpus that they were the main suspects in this murder, the Barker-Karpus gang escaped retribution. From there, they only got more bold and more violent. And on September 29th, 1932, they participated in one of their most daring robberies at Citizens National Bank in Wapeton, North Dakota. And 1932 is also about the time the bank robbing starts getting real fucking hard. Real hard. Yeah. The crew this time was Fred Barker, Alvin Karpus, Alvin's old buddy Lawrence Duvall, remember the guy he was in the reformatory oh, with? Mm-hmm. Yes. Famous Yeg, Harvey Bailey. Harvey Bailey's an interesting character too. I started yeah. doing a little research into him. They call him the the, the Dean of American Bank Robbery. He uh. was like one of the most successful bank robbers in the in the history of the world, but yeah. he did go to Alcatraz, but he died a peaceful death at 91 Ooh. years old. 91. Wow. And the last guy on the crew was Bernard Big Phil Courtney. I think Big Bernie was taken. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Bernard it was taken Big until Phil. I was just like, well, I look, some people keep telling me I look like a Phil, but I don't even know. Am I boring you? 
<laughs> Big Phil. What's your name? It's Bernard. It's Listen Bernard. again. I just, I, this is why I just, just call me Phil, even though it's not my name. I barely so answer to it because my name is Bernie. I just, uh, I just, these nicknames, everybody's got them now. Yes, indeed. Is it Phil F-I-L-L? No, I'm not an asshole. Okay. <laughs> Wearing long overcoats and carrying Thompson machine guns, the Barker Carpus gang looked to all the world, minus the guns, as bankers themselves, which gave them an edge of surprise. So cool. <laughs> Just hanging out because you've got all these suits on and shit and the cool yeah, but, hats. But like the guns are yeah. it's under It's under the, the Tommy gun. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, it's, they can't you know, hide it that well. It's, they, a, time they, period. it's a huge thing. It was very quick. Yeah. They, they weren't looked, hanging out and eating. They weren't having for Flarkin, whatever the Swedish version of having a coffee and a pastry was. You say Flarkin? No, no. I said a Swedish word. But these guys are all in a bank. They're just sitting there. They're they're not there for a long time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the Barker Carpus gang had, up to this point, always been pretty small, at times being comprised of only Alvin and Fred. As such, the robberies in the past were a little sneakier. But since they now had the criminal pool of St. Paul to choose from, they could go for a straightforward, everybody-on-the-fucking-ground approach. And that's exactly how they burst into Citizens National Bank. Yeah, man. Whoa. Yeah. Using, in the words of a later article, profane language. Pussies up! What? Pussies up! Shut this down! Pussies up! Pussies up! Pussies up! How do you want me to lay? Put your pussy in the sky! Put I your pussy in the sky! I don't know how to do that! Just get on the ground! Okay, I can do that. The crew ordered the victims to drop to the floor, and while one gunman stood guard, the others emptied the cash drawers and got to work on the vault. Nashy, nah. Oh. But as the bandits looted the bank, a cashier managed to hit the alarm. <sighs> don't be a hero. Again! Yeah, and the and for this one, they actually fucking bashed him in the head with their rifle butt when they saw that he'd fucking done it. Whoa. The cops showed up before the gang could finish, and as the alarm screamed, Fred Barker and Lawrence Duvall grabbed hostages. Mm. Using the women as human shields, Barker and Duvall charged out of the double doors of the banks and opened fire on the cops yeah. outside with two Tommy guns. And when reinforcements came, Alvin opened fire as well, forcing the cops to take cover while the hostages screamed and struggled to break free. Still firing, the gang loaded into their Hudson sedan, with some hopping on the running boards outside, still holding the hostages to keep the cops from pumping too many bullets into their getaway vehicle. And as they drove away, the gang used their signature, scattering five-gallon milk jars full of roof and nails on the road to slow down the cops. Some police cars were able to swerve and missed the obstacles, but others blew tires and crashed, all while dodging constant machine gun fire from the sedan carrying the Barker Carpus gang. <laughs> it's like all the fun saloon music. Ah, yeah. awesome. <laughs> Eventually, the robbers got away and dumped the hostages, all severely wounded and shot up with morphine. They actually did do that. They they would like when if someone got hurt, they brought morphine with them and like shot them. I was like, oh, you hurting? Sorry. They shot them up and then dropped them off twenty miles out out of town they never hurt the hostages it was uh, they always said like no 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 we don't hurt the hostages the cops hurt the hostages (laughs) (laughs) they were being used used as human shields yeah Yeah, but they were there also Mm -hmm. if these cops were good like a robocop 
shoot between the dress. Yeah. It's very difficult. It's very difficult at well, the time. Well, he's half game. a robot, so. Um, but these guys uh, were, is, this is where they realize this is their bread and butter. What we'll do mm-hmm. is we're just going to fucking, we'll take hostages all the time. We're going to yeah. take them and we're going to use them because then everybody gets all upset because, oh, they got an old lady like strapped to the side of the car. But right. that's how you make that money. It is kind of funny to think about like 10 people just duct taped to the side of the car. Mm-hmm. And like, no, no one will hit us now. Yep. But even though the hostages slowed down the gunfire a little, the cops had still filled the gang's Hudson with bullets, popping two tires and puncturing the gas tank. Abandoning their heap, the gang found a dilapidated farmhouse with an old Essex in the front yard. They were soon greeted by a farmer and his family, and Alvin Karpus matter-of-factly told them that they just robbed the Wapitan Bank and they need to buy his car for further getaway purposes. Let me just let me level okay. you. Okay, you can send me an invoice. You can Venmo <laughs> request me, but this is how it is. We're just gonna we'll fucking kill you. But they really feel like it comes down to they will just fucking well, kill they, the family. But they offered cash. I mean, this is actually a good way to get rid of a bad car. Yeah, the old man readily agreed, especially considering how big of a wad Alvin was offering. Ooh. But the old man added that he didn't give a fuck if they robbed the bank. Because all banks ever do is foreclose on us farmers. Damn. Fuck yep. you. Fuck the man. This cool. man is hard. It's <laughs> yeah, hard. That, that is like such a depression era idea. Like the farmer, like, you know, just like, fuck yeah, I'll help you. Of course. Fuck the bank. I hate the fucking bank. I hate cops. I hate everyone. Fuck I you. hate the bank. <laughs> I've screamed I hate the bank. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And with that, the gang loaded into the Essex and sped away with $7,000 in cash. And you know what's funny is that they actually spent, this one was such higher effort and so much more dangerous, they got the exact same amount of money as they got when they just hid in the bank and popped out. Like, it's, you know, you, know, you never know. little boys. You never I feel do. like you never know what you're going to get. Well, they yeah. have a story to tell now, don't they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. It seems exciting. But they have a new way of doing it, too. They get a new tactic. Yeah. Now, while that robbery was a little rough, The other five robberies they committed in 1932 went a hell of a lot smoother. And by the end of the year, the Barker Carpus gang had stolen the modern equivalent of $5 million. $5 million. Now, perhaps due to Alvin Carpus's paranoia, combined with the incident that led to the killing of a sheriff in Oklahoma, Mm. the gang didn't actually flash too much money. For Ma's part, she rented a quaint home instead of buying one, temporarily settling into a cottage at White Bear Lake near St. Paul. At least she got a house. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, at least now she's inside and she can shit in the toilet. (laughs) It's good. It's nice. It's a beautiful area. Posing as a widow named Mrs. Hunter. My poor husband, he died of getting shot by my sons in the fucking head. And I have, I need to work yeah. on my bio. Yeah. Is there anybody who could honestly help me with character development? You know, hon, I actually killed my husband too. Whoa. But what we say is he died of cancer. Oh, that's awesome. See how easy that is? Yeah, tumors are just little bullets. Yeah. How'd your husband die, Ma? Um, yeah, we shot him in the head. Oh, no, it's just too fun to Ma. say. It's no. too fun to say. Oh. Well, Ma brought along Fred and Alvin, and the home became a lake house where criminals could come, relax, and hear Ma play the fiddle all night long. <laughs> okay, everybody gather around. This song's called Heavy Door Opening in the Basement. This is great. Okay, and this sounds called Bunch of Spiders at the Square Dance. (laughs) 
<laughs> this is a really good one. You will sit and enjoy my hospitality. I just got a toilet. I, I'm telling you, I think I'm just drunk enough to think this is good. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I, I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction. It's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins as soon as I wake up. And a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs, which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today. To get 10% off your first month. That's better help. H-E-L-P.com slash last pod. How many platforms do I work on? So many platforms. Can you believe it? Google Docs. Work on that. Very complicated. Lots of different things going out. Clickety clack, right? Slack. Saying things to my employees. All of my, all my, my main doldgers walking around here. It makes sure it changes cluck to the word I meant for it to say to everyone. But I try to say not curse words on Slack. What am I supposed to do about it? But Grammarly doesn't fix curse words, does it? Because Grammarly's too good for it. It's too classy. It's Grammarly is an AI writing partner that helps you get work done faster with high quality writing. Because better writing means a stronger impact. The pen is mightier than the sword. Except when the sword is in the room. 96% of Grammarly users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing and suggestions based on your audience goals and context. Can you believe it? And data privacy and security are woven into the foundation of Grammarly. It's in its goods. All right. So Grammarly's great. Use it. I use it. I love its gentle harassment of my writing style because it does help me because sometimes my thumbs are faster than my eyeballs. Don't quote me on that. Get AI writing support that works where you work. Sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hi, did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. That's one of my favorite things about it. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Now, personally, I'm in the middle of re-landscaping my yard. I like to do it myself because I called up a landscaper to see how much it costs and it was absolutely insane. Plus, I love dirt. I love getting my hands 
in the dirt. And I love planting things myself. And fast growing trees has given me some wonderful plants that I can use. Like I got this uh, Texas sage, it's purple. I've dug up a whole bunch of horrible bushes and shrubs up in front of my window and in front of my house and put some purple Texas sage up there and it's going to thrive and it's going to look real good. And I didn't even have to go to a nursery to buy it. It came to my house. Now, this spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Now, the Barker Carpus gang had proved that the bigger the gang, the bigger the score, especially if you have permanent members you could trust. And after all, who could you trust more than family? I don't know who you trust more than family, except for the fact that a lot of times when people like, if you make your brother your financial manager, a lot of times they just take all your money. I, actually, family is, is actually difficult to trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be. So, using some of that big wad from the Wapiton score, the Barkers hired a private investigator and former police chief named Jack Glenn to negotiate the release of Doc Barker, who was still serving life in prison for the murder of a 68-year-old night watchman. Now, I really hmm. think this is interesting where they hired a, they hired a police officer to quote-unquote no. negotiate with the prison, yeah. which just seemed to mean... They gave him a big chunk of money, and then that man went and gave the prison money, yes. and then they just let the man go. You yes. know, it seems to me like mm-hmm. sometimes you should be sentenced to the amount of life that the person that you killed had, had left. left. Yeah. You kill a baby, you got life in prison. <laughs> he killed a 68-year-old. We'll say he lives until, let's give him 80, 12-year sentence. I, you know? Huh? So everyone you might, gets, you, get you, just every, you just kind of assume 80 for everyone. So you just well, take someone's age, you subtract that, for, you take someone's age the, that they were, so they now, were killed and you subtract that from 80 and that's your sentence. And if, if you kill a 90 year old, you should get 10 years of UBI. Yes. And you, you actually get to just get live paid. for free on the government's dime. Absolutely. So anyway, it's a theory. While acting as a go-between, Jack talked corrupt officials at the Kansas State Pen into releasing Doc early. And after the Barkers put up an untold sum, Doc did indeed leave as a free man in September of 1932. This is wow. also important. This they view this almost as like they were building a little business. It's the same thing where you have to put money in to get money to come out. Yes, mm-hmm. indeed. After that success, the gang figured they'd try the same thing with Lloyd Barker, who was doing 25 years for the much less serious crime of robbing a mail wagon. I pointed a gun at an envelope. I'm here in the worst place in the world. (laughs) That's a federal crime. But Lloyd Barker was at Leavenworth Mm -hmm. Penitentiary, and Leavenworth couldn't be bought. So Lloyd was left to rot. Now, any member of the Barker Carpus gang would have expected this same treatment. And what was more is that the penalty for failure in springing a Barker Carpus gang member was often death. Yeah. Yeah. This is, you're, you are make, you're getting into an arrangement with a group of highly violent, unpredictable people. Unscrupulous. Mm-hmm. When a lawyer was unable to secure a not guilty verdict for Harvey Bailey... That lawyer was shot and killed by Fred Barker on a golf course the next day. In other words, the incentive to help the Barkers instead of hindering them was quite strong. Because the thing about these guys, they show back up and they're like, Hmm. you know, 
I'm so sorry, Mr. Barker. <laughs> I did everything I could do. And they just think that they, everything's fine and dandy mm-hmm. while you're dealing with the psychopath. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they think they're living in the polite world, and they don't realize that as soon as you hook up with a Barker Carpus gang, like you are in the animal world. And yep. they will rip your throat out if they don't like the way you look. Oh, yeah. Well, that, th- then they're definitely going to want to go to men's warehouse. Because that's what you're going <laughs> to like the way you look. You're going to like the way my, my cancerous throat <laughs> says that you're going to like the way you look. I think that he just liked his cigars. Did he die? <laughs> I, don't I think know. that guy might be dead. Maybe. So, with Doc back in the gang. He, Fred, Alvin Carpus, Lawrence Duvall, William Weaver, and a new guy named Vern Miller. Hi. Hi, Vern. Hey, Vern. Vern. Yeah. When'd you get here? You know what? I'm not even really sure. Okay. (laughs) Well, welcome. Well, they robbed the third Northwestern Bank of Minneapolis in December of 1932. Now, this job was a little riskier than the ones the gang usually pulled. This bank was nestled in a triangular manner on the corner of a busy street and had large glass windows exposed to the public on all three sides. But as Carpus put it, they sometimes did risky jobs deliberately to interject some extra excitement into their work. Man. It's already pretty exciting. But it's like the people who, like comedians who lose the audience on purpose, mm-hmm. or be like, we're going to try to get killed with this one. Come hey, on, guys. Hey, Vern. <laughs> yeah? Why don't you do this one nude? Uh, you know what? I am new, so if this is some kind of hazing ritual, I guess uh, whatever you guys want me to do, because it seems to be if I don't, you might shoot me in the back of the head. Naked bank robbing. <laughs> so once the crew busted in with Tommy guns and revolvers, they took the bank tellers to the vault, all while people easily watched everything happening from the outside. Distraction, distraction. Look at my taint. Look at me. I'm barking like a dog. I'm doing a ballerina dance. You can see my wiener. Yeah. Hey, everybody, distraction. This is what I plan to do. You're the best. Now, this wasn't quite as foolhardy as it might seem, because even though they were taking a risk, they still operated as professionals. See, for daytime robberies, the gang tried to always do it on the afternoon shift change, you know, when the day cops were going in and the Mm. evening cops were coming out. And that would give them the minutes or even the seconds they needed to safely get away. But on this particular day... Two officers named Ira Evans and Leo Gorski were running behind schedule just a mile away from the bank. And when an employee managed to hit the alarm, the two tardy officers came running. We coming, we coming, Gorski, we coming. (laughs) Gorski um, is uh, Ed Larson's maiden name. Is that right? No kidding. Unfortunately for them, though. They were just two keystone cops against a hardened gang of criminals with machine guns. Hey, you, you got you stop your crime. Oh, you man. stop your crime. I will chase you around this stage wagon for a while, and then we'll all fall down together in tandem. It's funny. Yeah, Gorski, <laughs> I think we're in over our heads here, buddy. Yeah, I'm just another Polish police officer who's not good at it. I know. By the end of it, Evans had been Swiss cheesed with 20 bullet wounds, while Gorski fell dead with five. And as the robbers ran to their getaway car following the murders of Evans and Gorski, reinforcements were just starting to show up. But Lawrence Duvall, while he was running to the car, he slipped, he fell, and he accidentally shot out one of the tires on the getaway car. Oh my <laughs> god! Oh, but you're gonna get a demerit. You are so, so many demerits! Oh yeah. yeah. But this barely slowed down the gang, and when the rubber broke free on the tire, they got away driving only on the rim. This time, though, they had a second getaway car waiting just in case the first one got shot up, which it had. But as they were transferring from the hot car to the new one, 
the situation spun out of control again. Just as they were almost done transferring license plates on the side of the road, as an extra measure, two old men pulled up in a jalopy and asked if the boys needed help. Hmm. Fred waved them on, telling them, get going, everything's get fine, here. get out of here. But the driver just couldn't help but be curious. Oh, you, you know what you're going to want to do there. What you're going <laughs> to no. want to do there. I see how your car's not running. You're going to want to get the car running. Maybe just get out <laughs> get of this car. Out of here, do you want bro. some soup? Do you want some soup? No. I got my money. Tell me, do you know I do you want to listen to a record with me? Come on, let's you've be nice. Had, you've had your last Reuben sandwich, my friend. He stuck his head out to try and figure out what was really going on, and it was in that moment that Fred pulled out his gun and shot the old man in the face. The passenger, thinking quickly, moved the dead body from behind the wheel and sped away before Fred lost his patience even further and did the same to him. In all, three people were dead in the only robbery Alvin Karpis truly regretted. He later wrote that the take was, quote, a paltry sum in view of the shooting and lives lost, not to mention the loss of the vehicles. Mm. I tell you what, I actually finally do understand. <laughs> I am creepy. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So since the heat was higher than it had ever been following this debacle in Minneapolis, the gang split the money and went their separate ways, agreeing to meet up in Reno, Nevada when the heat died down. That's where criminals go to relax. Absolutely. Yeah. Everyone else left Minnesota, but Lawrence Duvall decided, fuck it, and he just went back to St. Paul. There, he was arrested on a drunk and disorderly charge during a party at his own apartment. Oh, that's difficult. Yeah, how yeah. do you do that? I don't know. If, oh, yeah. I guess you have a really big party. Uh, the cops get called because you're too I pay loud. Pay your and fucking the, salary. Yeah. As soon as you say the terms, my taxes pay your salary. That's when right. you're. That's when the processing really starts. So they well, get you is, in the car. It's somewhat factual, though, isn't yeah, it? It's, it's somewhat is. factual, no, it is, but it, it is a one way ticket to prison or yeah, at least to jail. It's a one way ticket to yeah. a night in jail. Yeah, it's how you do it. It's how you do it. It's yeah, how, yeah. If you want it, that's how you do it. But that's yeah. kind of nice to actually go to jail because we also our taxpayers dollars also pay for that. Yeah, it's nice. Let's use it. Let's use. So after he got arrested on the drunk and disorderly charge, the cops searched his apartment. They found money from the third Northwestern robbery. And it's just like that fucking deli over on Graham Avenue in Brooklyn. They found a notebook containing the names and addresses of other bank robbers. I just feel like, <laughs> though, why is it in writing? I don't know. Why is it in writing in any yeah. way, shape or form? You deal in secrets. Yeah. So. They but they fucking they pinched him for the robbery. And because they pinched him for the robbery, they also pinched him for the murders of those two cops. And for the his part in the deaths of those two officers, Duvall pled guilty to second degree murder in nineteen thirty-three and was sentenced to life in prison. These were not, however, Duvall's only murders. Remember how I said Lawrence Duvall was a psychopath? Mm. Reportedly, before he was in the Barker gang, he had murdered eight other people. Huh. Including three cops. Like imagine them like finding out after the fact in the newspaper and just being like, "Man, Larry wasn't fucking around." No, Larry's very serious. <laughs> he was not laying low. He was quite what? loud with it. Was quite but that's loud. not the end of Larry's story. 
Within four years of his sentence, Duvall was transferred to the St. Peter Hospital for the criminally insane. Oh, cool. Arkham. <laughs> but he only stayed there until 1936. In that year, this sounds fucking terrifying, he and 15 other inmates staged a mass breakout. Oh. Just think, imagine that 16 inmates escaped from the local hospital for the criminally insane and you just don't know where the fuck they are. I mean, it's the start of every horror movie. It's yeah. the beginning of every new Batman arc. Yeah. <laughs> they Basically. all escape. Everybody escaped. He's got to round them back up. But it, I tried to find information on this. I couldn't find any information on this. But it's a fascinating guy. I want to get into that more yeah. about like escapes or mental asylums. Yeah. Well, Duvall immediately robbed a bank and then fled to Oklahoma, where he was cornered by police in a bar in Enid. After asking the cops to let him finish his beer... Duvall pulled a revolver, killed one more cop instantly, and fled the tavern on foot. Other cops soon caught up, and after a short gun battle, Lawrence Duvall was finally brought down by nine police bullets. That's how he wanted to go. Yes, it was. That was his dream. And he had that one last beer, that feeling, like, you know, you sit there being like, I always finish my beer, and they're all like watching you, like watch all the beads of condensation run down you. For a second, you become that Miller Lite commercial where you're like, ah. Nothing like the smooth, cold Alpine waters that fuel the heart of Miller Lite. Well, and then you get to go and fucking kill Alpine, a bunch of cops and Alpine. fucking get shot by the cops. It's fucking wild. Alpine yeah. waters would probably infer it was Coors. Wow. Yeah. That's true. And that's that is because the real Miller Lite is more of a uh, Wisconsin Coors, wow. beverage. That Coors? is real experience. And that's another Adolf right there. Whoa. What? <laughs> Adolf Coors. The guy Adolf who Coors? found the Coors, Coors is named Coors? Yes, what? Adolf. Yeah. Whoa, oh, weird. Man. That sounded good. You yeah. should have changed it to like Rudolph or something. Yeah. yeah. That was back in the a day dwarf. when all the beers company well, all the beer companies were owned by German men. Like mm-hmm. beer no in this country was all German immigrants. Yeah. Coors, Schlitz, Schaefer, all Miller. All Cum Goozlers. Have ever had Cum Goozlers? Yeah. <laughs> Pabst. Also another all Germans. Mm. Wow. Reichenbach. Remember Reichenbach? They were awful. Yeah. yeah. Now, while Duvall was taking the fall for the Minneapolis job, the rest of the Barker Carpus gang were celebrating their successful escape from justice in Reno with a Christmas Day shindig that featured <laughs> infamous bank robber Babyface Nelson as a guest because Whoa. all of them would become buddies in St. Paul. And he just was there. He's the life of the party. He's, he's you know, creepy, he's bringing though. all the bull. Yeah, creepy's there. Babyface is there. And Babyface is like, goo goo gaga, what a nice time we're all having here, right? <laughs> and they all get together. He's got a big rattle. I don't even know. This is a funny. All of this Goo-goo is very funny. Gaga. Uh, he's there because he's a baby. I don't know. I know that he was a murderer as well. He was actually very dangerous. Maybe he's that baby face from, uh, what was it? Uh, Happy Death Day. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Babyface. Now, Babyface Nelson was also an infamous bank robber. Also, just like Alvin Creepy Carpus, hate. Like, if you called him Babyface Nelson, he'd fucking murder you. His real oh. name was uh, Lester Gillis. Well, yeah. maybe we should just normalize seeing Lester. Yeah. No, man. No, he's babyface. That's what he gets. That's the one thing these gangsters get is that you get the nickname that is assigned to you. Okay. You don't get to choose. No. All right. Well, soon after the party, Ma and Alvin traveled to California with babyface Nelson so babyface could have throat surgery at a hospital that specifically catered to gangsters on the run. If, if you <laughs> fucking came to that hospital, they'd treat any gangster as long as the gangster gave a generous, quote unquote, donation, donation. to the hospital. Oh, you mean fair? Fair. Yes. Mm-hmm. There, Ma had a brief but 
heavy affair with the hospital director. <laughs> it just reminds me of the Forrest Gump scene just being like, your mother sure does want you to have an education. Like, <laughs> like, just, oh man, just Chinese finger trapping this guy. Well, have fun with it. And afterward, Ma and Alvin returned to the rest of the gang to commit the most daring and dangerous bank robbery of their career. Now, by early February 1933, the gang had grown tired of Reno and were ready to commit more crimes. Hmm. So they relocated to the Chicago area where they got to work planning their next heist. That must have been very difficult because that's Al Capone territory. And, and yeah. But I know that Capone knew them and liked them. Like, he liked the Barker Carpus gang. He well, approved I mean, it, of them. It was fine if they were in the territory. It's just so long as they're not operating in his territory. Like, they're not going to Cicero and holding up a bunch of banks in Cicero. That's fucking no. Capone's territory. Because he'll kill you. He yeah. would kill you. It was decided that the target would be the first national bank in Fairbury, Nebraska. And on one gray Tuesday morn, the Barker Carpus gang burst through the front door once more with Tommy guns demanding all the money in the vault. Pussies up! Suckers Whoa. down! Pussies up! Wait, what? Suckers down! What is a sucker? Just get on the ground! Okay. In this robbery, the crew was Fred and Doc Barker plus Alvin Carpus as the lead gunman, mm. while veteran Yeg, Frank Jelly Nash, served as their backup <laughs> inside the bank. I don't even want to know how a Yeg got the nickname Jelly. Yeah, you know, it's better than jam because jam's got all the fruit chunks in it. Yeah. Standing guard outside the entrance of the building was Volney Davis and Earl Christman, while Eddie Green stood at the back door to keep any officers from surprising them. Finally, Jess Doyle waited outside across the street in a black Buick, ready to drive the whole crew far away just as soon as the job was done. Hmm. Now, 16 people worked at First National, and they were all, along with the patrons, told to get on the floor and, quote, keep their faces buried in the pavement until the robbers were out of the door. Fred pulled a pistol and shoved it in the face of a cashier named R.S. Wilfley. That is the most cashier name I have ever heard. R.S. Wilfley. <laughs> and told him to get the bank president so he could open the vault. When the cashier said the bank president hadn't shown up to work yet, though, Fred said, fine, you do it. You do it. And he's got, you know, he's got the little monocle and he's that kind of like chubby guy and he's got yeah. like the vest on. He's got a vest yeah. on like, I don't know. I don't know the combination, sir. And he's, I don't know it. And he's been like, well, you're going to want it. Well, you're yeah. going to get it. Yeah. Now, the cashier could barely keep his shit together as he turned the dial. So since he was moving a little slow, Fred gave him a little encouragement, announcing, like, quote, I guess we'll have to kill someone around here if there isn't more speed. Yeah. Whoa. Finally, willfully opened the vault. And while Doc and Jelly were stuffing money into bags, Fred and Alvin kept their guns trained on the patrons and employees still laying on the floor. You keep those vulvas pointing towards the fans. Oh, yeah. wow, vulva. Quite yeah. a, uh, an educated term, yep. sir. Yes. Yeah. But as it was in Minneapolis, people outside could see what was happening. Mm. And when just the right loudmouth saw the scene, he called out, Robbers! See? <laughs> His voice carried across. <laughs> Robbers are in there. And once the call was sounded, Earl Christman, standing guard outside, he just fucking opened fire on the crowd. And Whoa. once again, shit slid downhill. 
The first men on the scene were Deputy Sheriff W.S. Davidson and a gun salesman named Glenn Johnson. Glenn Johnson probably been waiting for this moment his whole fucking life. (laughs) Yes! 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 (laughs) These two rushed to the bank upon hearing the call and found Earl Christman and Volney Davis almost indiscriminately shooting at citizens on the street. Not hitting citizens, but just shooting at them. Making them dance. It's like GTA 5 stuff here. Yeah. The deputy sheriff and Glenn Johnson returned fire, and as soon as they started firing, so too did Fred and Alvin, still inside the bank, open fire, shattering the windows with a storm of bullets from their Tommy guns. And as more cops began pulling up, Christman loaded another 50-bullet drum into his machine gun and opened fire on them, hitting one security guard, but also catching a bullet in the stomach himself, his Hmm. first bullet of many. Now, it was obvious to Fred and Alvin that they couldn't escape out the front door unscathed, so they grabbed two hostages and shot out the window along the entranceway. With the hostages in tow, Fred and Alvin stepped over the window frame while police fired. Police hit not the robbers, but the hostages. Yes. One in the side and hitting the other Five times in the Whoa. stomach. <laughs> she could have just done it once. Could have just shot yeah. it one time and just been like, wow. "No, I think I no." He could let me say, "Oh, I'm, I thought oh, I, I got a dress." No. <laughs> oh, I, well, fuck. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, well, shit. I mean, she got, I thought that was a part of her hat. <laughs> Tossing the injured hostages aside, Fred and Alvin grabbed two fresh ones who were just coming out of a nearby medical clinic. Mm. Earl Kreisman, meanwhile, was being hit again and again, but all without falling down or stopping his hail of bullets. It's like a movie. Finally, getaway driver Jess Doyle, I say Jess Doyle's fucking MVP here, he managed to pull up to the curb and slow down just long enough to get all six robbers, including the gravely wounded Earl Kreisman, either into the vehicle or onto the running boards. With the two hostages, again held outside to discourage cops from firing, the robbers sped away, again leaving a trail of roofing nails in their wake. And when Jess stopped 50 miles outside of town, they found no one had followed them. Whoa. The women were then gently dropped off on the side of the road. And Here's once your hat. Were... <laughs> Here's a couple of plugs for the bullets. They just, yeah. You just enjoy the scenery here, okay? Also, we're just going to apologize for what happened back there. Hey, we're just I all, we, things we, got out of hand. That was a little mm-hmm. crazy you know, for us. It's more, it's on me. Yeah. And once the girls were out of sight, Jess stopped again so they could check on Earl. Earl was, needless to say, in pretty bad shape. I think I'm fucking dying here, man. Yeah. I'm fucking dying here, bro. I'm not judging by all the deep. blood. Yeah. I'm fucking I'm bleeding a liar, man. Yeah, yeah. Alvin, trying to do what he could, poured whiskey over the wounds and packed them with oh. towels. Before oh, get- that fucking sucks, man. I does, do anything, man. Does your bullet wound want to get hammered? No, I am getting <laughs> hammered, man. Yeah. Finally, they gave him a shot of morphine that had been brought along for just such an eventuality. From there, they managed to keep Earl alive until Kansas City, where they went to another medical safe house belonging to a man named Vern Miller. Fred, Alvin, and Eddie Green traveled on to St. Paul with the stolen money from the robbery, but Doc, Volney, and Jess stayed with Earl saying they'd join them in St. Paul once Earl stabilized. I don't think I'm fucking stabilizing you, man. I think I'm fucking sliding your dog. Yep, most likely. You look horrible. <laughs> don't insult me, man. I'm well, it's just dying, all the man. blood, all the holes. Give me some makeup, man. Remember when you woke up today and you didn't have a bunch of holes yeah, in your body? Yeah, I, I only have the standard holes. <laughs> Isn't that weird? <laughs> but the wounds were too much, and Earl died in the early hours of April 5th, 1933. The three gang members who had stayed behind 
buried Earl in a secret location outside of town, then joined the rest back in St. Paul. Now, after the deadly debacle that was First National, the gang decided to go a little easier by robbing a Federal Reserve handcart in Chicago, Mm. as was suggested by Chicago gangster Shotgun George Ziegler. This guy's also interesting. The way he figured, they believe that he, he, they think that he is the architect of the St. Valentine's Day massacre. That he is the one who did it. He was a gunman for Capone. Mm. Yeah, he was described as a, quote, gentleman monster and was known as one of the most sophisticated gangsters of the era. So his word had weight. But bad luck struck again. And when cops showed up sooner than expected, a new gang member named Monty Bolton shot Doc <laughs> Barker's finger in the fray. God Whoa, damn it, Montifer! I'm calling you by your full fucking name. Yeah. You're Montifer now. I understand. God damn it. Sorry about that. Reportedly, Doc was actually less upset about the wound and more pissed that Monty had blown a diamond off his favorite ring. Yeah, that's a gangster. That's a gangster attitude. It makes yeah. sense. Now, that was the totality of the casualties in the handcart heist. But when the gang got back to their hideout, they found that they'd stolen nothing but worthless checks and had almost been killed in the process. Oh, my goodness. See, in the seven years since they began pulling bank jobs, bank robbing had become a hell of a lot harder. And each job seemed to be bringing the Barker boys and Alvin Karpus that much closer to a bloody end. Because people started to recognize bank robbers' tactics and they re- and they started putting guys with guns in the banks. They started Mm -hmm. to understand like, oh, we as a community also need to watch our banks. So like Mm -hmm. we had a lot more people armed and ready because the the thing is they're getting more and more publicity as bank robbers again and again. It is becoming this huge deal. But then the bank itself is the center of a lot of these towns. So people are starting to understand, oh, we all need to police it as well. It can't just be the two deputies, the two Barty Fifes we got here. We all have guns. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, Barty Fife, he's got a fish. Mm-hmm. He's going to go fishing at the old watering hole. I've never seen that show. Uh, which one? That one with the, Barney the fishing, Fife. That was Andy Griffith. That's how the show starts. Andy and Opie, they're going fishing. Yeah, but I mean, Barney Fife definitely fished. And then Anthony came in and then they fucking said a bunch of horrible shit. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, additionally, the bankers laundering their money and the officials in St. Paul getting kickbacks from the Barker Carpus gang were getting nervous about all these dead and wounded cops. Ah, yeah, yeah. So, inspired by the Lindbergh baby case... It's the Lindbergh baby! (laughs) (laughs) We'll do that story one day, too. It's interesting. What an inspiration. It was decided that it was time to get out of bank robbing and move on to the Barker Carpus gang's most profitable venture, kidnapping. And that's where we'll pick back up for the conclusion to our series. And I am All not going right. to spoil the ending here, but let's just say everybody dies. Whoa. And as we go, <laughs> hey, no, not, not everybody, not, not everybody, everybody, not everybody. No, no, no. Right. one, right. one person in the story lives to a ripe old age. Yes, but not the Lindbergh baby. No, <laughs> no, no, Lindbergh baby got turned into chum, I believe. I think so. Yeah. Um, but this story is really, I mean, we, we're going to wind down next week. I think we'll also talk a little bit more about like the why Ma Barker was listed as the criminal mastermind of this group, and we'll, mm-hmm. we'll talk a little bit about that more detail. We'll talk about J. Edgar Hoover and his panties. We'll do a J. little bit, Edgar tiny bit, uh, and then we next week it'll be we see the end of like this is the most daring group. To ever f- to join the world of bank robbery, mm-hmm. bank in robbery indeed. Uh, speaking of just the wonderful worlds, 
Thank you, everyone who came out to our shows in Texas, oh, Dallas, great. Houston, it was Austin. Good. Y'all it was good were just show. absolutely wonderful. We had a good-ass show. Next week, we're very excited. We're going to be in Ritman. We're going to be in Washington, Washington D.C. D.C. District of Columbia. Yes, the Philadelphia. And Philadelphia. Philadelphia. We're very excited to see all of you. Absolutely. We're strong. We're yeah. long. we got to get some friction on them. We're ready to be out there with you. Absolutely. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for supporting the show. Anything Hope else you to plug? this episode. Um, do we have just keep on supporting all the shows here on the last we podcast? We got Z2, Network. the comic book coming out in, mm-hmm. the, in the spring. We got Soul, Soul Plumber is still being out. sold. We're not done with that yet. We've got issue fives out. we got six issues. we got one issue left next month. And then, um, yeah, I guess that really is it. Yeah, you know where to find us. Oh, make sure, yeah, again, remember, February 1st. Going wide to all the various platforms, staying on Spotify, moving over to a deal with Stitcher. Everybody's cool. Don't know when the SiriusXM show is going to be. We're going to get there. Watch the streams on Monday nights at 5 p.m. If you're a Patreon subscriber, watch live until it's done. PST. PST. Yes, indeed. Time zones. Very strange, but yet very real. They're out there, so we got a lot of shit going on. All right, everyone. Don't even pressure me, man. Say it out and grind enough. You are. Hustle enough. You have spoken yourself into this tizzy. I did. It's a Spring Hill Jack that's flowing yes, through indeed. my veins. I just drank an entire 20-ounce mug of it. It's Woo. good, though. I feel good. <laughs> better than before. But... <laughs> right. Better than you. I'm better than... feel better than you. Happy. Right. No, it's his birthday. Yeah, happy Can't birthday. feel better than Marcus on Marcus. his birthday. Take care. 39 you. means nothing. No. Well, it means something. It does It does mean... It, it's definitely feeling the, the cold breath of death on the back of your neck. No, it's just it's your warm. friends. It's your friends. That's the warm death. Yeah. You think warm... warm no, I, I would say death is a... It's a cold breath. See, Mike, you know where I felt the cold breath so. of death is when I found my first gray pube. Uh, That's where I, I felt the shudder. No, cold is for comedy. Like Letterman's studio is cold. Yes, because that keeps people vibrant. But I think death, I think it's a warm Well, breath. if you're being set on fire. Well, yeah. it just depends. Or when you're cremated. Yeah. I think I it also no depends idea. on how much you're looking to embrace it. You're right. right, everyone. You're right. So hold death closely. If you want to. Okay, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Hail Geen. Magoostalations, everybody. Hail me. We did it again. Another perfect episode. Almost impossible to rob banks these days. Yeah, it's You got to use crypto. 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 Steal from the government. (laughs) All these lazy bank robbers all sitting in their chairs, not getting out and doing the real work. (laughs) Oh, some kind of blockchain. What you got to do. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Save big money on everything. Now at Menards. Make quick work of your outdoor cleaning project with Masterforce Outdoor and Landscaping Tools. The 80-volt cordless trimmer is powerful, efficient, and hassle-free. So you spend less time working on your yard and more time enjoying the results. On sale now through May 19th. Check out our wide selection of Masterforce tools and see the rest of our deals on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards.